Welcome back to Wake Up Winden, where I'm finally going to cover season two of The Beforeners, the most recent season. And I've got the premiere episode to cover today. A very interesting turn of events as to where the show is going, the world is expanding. Jack the Ripper is here. I cannot believe that they have brought in Jack the Ripper for this. <laughs> the show is wild. Um, I'm really, really excited to talk about it, break it all down. Uh, we'll, I'll be covering The Beforeners Season 2, Episode 1. I'm your host, Brian Hickey, and thank you so much for joining us, everybody. So I'm going to get to The Beforeners in just a moment here. I just wanted to say thank you to Sandra for emailing in. Really appreciated getting some feedback on the show and uh, hearing about how I've butchered the pronunciations of things. No, I knew that. That's okay. But Sandra, you had such great insight onto, into follow the, um, follow the Dog. And just to wrap up a storyline from Season 1, we had Erd who was visiting a shaman, and it seems like the shaman are going to be important in Episode 2, or Season 2 as well. And, you know, she had seen the, she had seen this prophet, this mystic woman, and she had said to follow the dog to get out of the maze. And life was the maze. And it hit me after Sandra emailed me. She said, follow the dog could be in reference to Tor Hund because Hund in German is dog. So follow the Hund or follow the dog and you get out of the maze. And that was kind of like she was breaking free, you know, of this mortal life right? Because she had the cancer treatment she had to deal with that she did not like. Uh, who would like that, of course? But it really wasn't for her. And she uh, got to go out on her own terms. So just to wrap that up, and thank you, Sandra, for telling me that. That was really great insight. And then also, I appreciated, uh, I appreciated learning a little bit more about uh, the vermouth. Not as strong of a drink as I thought. It seems actually kind of pleasant, but I'd like to try it. So Thank you for that, Sandra. And uh, if anybody else wants to write in, uh, I've got some some Jack the Ripper I'm going to be covering this week. So if anybody's an expert on that, that would be fantastic. Um, you can email the show, wakeupwinded at gmail.com. like to hear from anybody. And um, thank you for the help because I, the, I there's a lot going on in the show and I definitely will probably miss some things. So... Thank you so much for uh, for taking the time to write in. All right, so let's talk about what is going on in Season 2. Of course, I mentioned the backdrop. We've got Jack the Ripper. He is potentially in modern-day Norway. Uh, we didn't get John Wilkes Booth, but I think this is a, this is a pretty, interesting, pretty interesting choice for who they brought back. It, the Jack the Ripper, just to give some background on the case, if you do not know, um, it was... He, uh, Jack the Ripper was never found, so this was a mysterious person. This was somebody who was never caught. In between 1888 and 1891 in London, so those dates match up with the dates of the show um, from, from the 19th century perspective of the people who are coming in from that time period. So there was five canonical murders uh, that they definitely linked to Jack the Ripper or this one person. But there was also 11 murders over the span of three years from 1888 to 1891 that went unsolved and possibly could have been linked to Jack the Ripper. And this area of London, Whitechapel, it was an area that was uh, tough to live in. 
uh, I was reading that I think 55% of children didn't make it to age five. So very harsh conditions. It was an area where there was a lot of Irish immigrants and also Jewish refugees who were fleeing from Tsarist Russia and other other nations around around Russia. So um, you had groups that were marginalized and um, it was an area that, you know, you could imagine maybe didn't get the police didn't get the police treatment or uh, the the uh, level of care that maybe another a wealthier area of London might have gotten. Although the investigation was pretty big, if you if you look into some research, um, there's very detailed accounts of it because uh, of the way that they took the notes. So there's a lot um, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of research. You know, as Lars as Lars looks up, and uh, later I think Elfielder too. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, Jack the Ripper websites. It's really fascinating. It's incredibly morbid, but I know, you know, um, there's a huge interest for true crime and um, stories like that. So uh, there's a lot about Jack the Ripper. Um, I'm going to get into it more. I, want, I feel like there's got to be a podcast out there that I could digest and listen to in between episodes one and two. I just did a little basic research before this one, but it's going to be fascinating to see how detailed they go with it we have a potential potential jack the ripper character um we'll have to see he also could be hunting jack the ripper it's kind of like 1800s detective kind of like sherlock holmes maybe even too so i i don't know i don't know i don't know who uh, mr rubenstein's supposed to be if he's supposed to be like a jack the ripper or is he supposed to be like sherlock holmes i'm not sure we're gonna have to find out Jack the Ripper, of course, he murdered in a very specific way that is consistent with what is seen on the show. Um, you know, mutilation, uh, the removal of certain body parts. It was very gruesome, very horrible. So uh, dealing with, you know, really heavy subject matter. And they even uh, they even reference a name, Mary Jane, in the show that it was the name of an actual victim, one of the victims that is definitely attributed to Jack the Ripper. So, I mean, the show is dealing with heavy, heavy, heavy subject matter. I applaud the show for taking the taking the risk, uh, and uh, we will have to see if it'll pay off. It has to be done somewhat delicately, I would think. But I really did enjoy the the world expanding, and it's an interesting mystery to bring into the show, and something that like would be a huge problem, right? If you know came into the modern day world it would be a problem no matter where that is you know probably a bigger problem than john wilkes booth who is you know a disgruntled actor by all accounts no i actually read a john wilkes booth book it was uh, about the, the the flight of john wilkes booth that really fascinated read too I, I got i don't know that's why i keep bringing him up i think i think that would be uh i think that would be fascinating just but again the time period didn't line up you'd have to get somebody from the 1890s um there was that uh uh, the Killer from The Devil in the White City, uh, if you've ever read that book before. Um, it's about Chicago, and I think it's in like the late 1800s, uh, the World's Fair, where the Ferris wheel debuted. But there was all sorts of uh, unrest and just uh, devilry, I guess you would say, uh, going on in Chicago. Uh, it just seemed like you could get away with anything. That's where I'm from originally, but it just seems where you could you could get away with anything in the 1890s. There, it just seems like a lawless lawless plane. So, yeah, that that would be that Henry Mudville, I think was his name. He's known by something else, but um, anyway, I, I have to look it up. 
Okay, I found his name. That's right, he was H.H.H. Holmes. Okay, he didn't even have, like, a scary nickname like Jack the Ripper. But, yeah, H.H.H. Holmes. I think his real name was was Mudville. But, uh, yeah, that, there's, uh, <laughs> that is... That would be an interesting one. 1893, it's very close. I mean, you could have got H.H.H. Holmes in this, up in this piece. Let's move on from just the background of the season. Um, we've got some things that are continuing, some people that have not reappeared just yet. But let's, uh, let's talk about what's going on. So I thought it was interesting how we opened in 1888 in the Whitechapel area. And... It's the Sabbath, and we see Mr. Rubenstein, who we'll come to know later on in the show, and he uh, he has, it seems he has a family, has a wife, and he has to leave because he said he can't miss this chance to miss him, and we assume that's Jack the Ripper. And uh, his wife is like, you're going to do this on the Sabbath, and of course the Sabbath would be you know very strict, very uh, something that you would not break very easily, but he has to, he has to go catch Jack. Um, or at least that's his alibi, right? So the question is, uh, I guess it's raised at the bar because, you know, we see women talking and we see, I think we see two women say that they're going to escape back to their home country. Um, and I thought, I was like, could that be Norway? And that, could that be how Jack the Ripper gets to the time hole in Norway instead of in London? I'm just trying to piece that together because, um, I don't know why this isn't in London. How did he get there? So something I want to flag for later. So the women who are at the bar, when Mr. Rubenstein walks in, they are they're afraid of him, like right? They they see him and they run away. And they even make reference to like you don't want you don't want what happens to Mary Jane to happen to you. And that's what I was referencing earlier, where she was an actual victim of Jack the Ripper. So they're making very clear reference to that. So he claims that he's assisting the Scotland Yard when he goes into the bar, and he has to stop the man no matter what. And he like kind of looks away. He like uh, so like uh, <laughs> I almost called him Jack, but so Mr. Rubenstein looks around after he's like saying he's working with the Scotland Yard, and he's like uh, it's just like he looks kind of menacing. And the uh, it goes to the opening of the show, like the beforeners, like the title card. So. I thought that was a cool intro, kind of gets us into the world. Um, you kind of know that it's Jack the Ripper. They're like making references. Is it Jack? It's Jack. So, and you know, it becomes clearer later on in the episode. If you weren't familiar with it, you know, the, you know, back and forth with Lars and uh, Al Fielder will get you caught up to that. So, uh, Jack the Ripper or Check Dripper, as Al Fielder hears it, which is very endearing. Al Fielder remains undefeated she is the best so uh let's talk about what's going on with our protagonists because they're they're separated and they're both going through some things right Al Fielder is going through some sleep sickness it appears and it appears to be of a uh, big concern because it happens to beforeners and she seems so concerned about it like that maybe it could cause even death and even though she goes to a mystic, the we talked about the mystic at the beginning of this episode, even though she goes to a mystic later on in the episode and she's saying that she definitely doesn't have it, Elfielder's still concerned. So we have that going on with Elfielder. And with our boy Lars, he is 
in recovery, it seems like, from the eye drops. Doesn't seem like he's using them anymore, but he is using some sort of medication, and I couldn't figure out if that was just like kind of like withdrawal medication that would be allowed, or if he's doing something under the table. Not exactly sure. It appears that his neighbor who sold him the eye drops in the first season appears that he's not a construction worker, but he appears that he's also trying to get him the medication as well, and he forgot, and uh, that kind of screws Lars up, it appears, because Lars starts to have visions of Odin appearing to him. Uh, Lars is also helping Ingrid throughout the episode, trying to be a good dad, and he uh, meets up with King Olaf at one point, and it'll be interesting to see King Olaf kind of gets a lot of the, maybe the time that Torhund would get or Erd would get in the first season, so it seems like, you know, King Olaf is going to be a kind of a major character in season two, so he has a run-in with him, but it's exciting because Lars is coming back to the police for the first time in this episode. He is going to be an external consultant. He has a conversation with a psychologist where she's telling him, you know, she's asking him these questions, and he's providing seemingly all the right answers. She says, hmm, that's from a textbook, Psychology Textbook 101, and she doesn't quite believe him, I don't think, um, when he's, like, saying that he's recovered. And he says the hallucinations were, of course, uh, you know, product of his eye drop usage. And that's when she kind of makes the textbook uh, line, and he is clearly lying to her because he's definitely seeing the effects. He's seeing uh, the, the goddess, God Odin, who is uh, smoking a cigarette, and she is, you know, very not of this time period. Uh, she's kind of a striking presence, and she is, uh, doesn't seem like a hallucination. She's hitting him, so, but he's definitely still not recovered from whatever was ailing him, uh, his addiction to the eye drops and whatever the side effects of those make, uh, make, uh, whatever the side effects of those eye drops are. Anyway, Lars is coming back just in time because, uh, there's a new case and it's going to be quite the big case and they're going to need the team of Lars and Elfielder back in action. So, Elfielder, she's been working with Wenke, poor, poor Elfielder. Uh, they're still the same banter as of, uh, uh, from season one, but it seems like things have calmed down just a little bit. Wenke's trying to take care of her cat Anton, so there, there's a little less hostility there, I, at least I, I felt in this episode. Hopefully they've moved on a little bit, but, you know, Wenke's still kind of like the, the lazy cop who, like, just wants to do things quick, and Elfielder's doing, like, the actual police work and uh, getting things done, quite frankly. So, they're called to the scene for an overdose, and I was just thinking, well, how'd they mess this one up? I guess maybe they didn't get too good of a look at her, but, you know, she's clearly been, you know, mutilated, and um, she, she's clearly been extremely messed up. Uh, we see later the cut marks in the more uh, in the morgue, where, like, I guess the, the morgue has become just, like, a reoccurring, reoccurring setting in this show. Um, it's funny seeing the mortician get owned by either Jack the Ripper or Dr. Rubenstein, but uh, more on that later. Um, so... They get called to, like, this underground tunnel, and the tunnel, um, there's nobody really reliable uh, as a witness in the tunnel, as we see when they're called to the police station later on. It's absolute pandemonium. Um, you know, you could imagine, like, the state of life you might be in if you were living in a tunnel, and they are having a tough time, and this woman is dead, 
and Alfielder is the first to notice that this is an overdose, and they're going to investigate it as a murder. So, it ends up being that Lars is the one who makes the connection to Jack the Ripper, uh, because he looks up, like, this is crazy, he looks up knife murders uh, on the Wikipedia or whatever they have uh, on the, the, the police wiki, and... You know, he out pops Jack Jack the Ripper, and like, this is like kind of bold of Lars, like, right? Like, uh, this is like his great comeback, and he's like, "All right, I got it, boss." This case, this is Jack the Ripper, and the Chiefs all in on it. But you'd have to think like this would be kind of like a leap, right? Like, it was like, oh, I don't know. I think uh, Lars is still on the eye drops. I think another six months would be all right for him. So. Brave of Lars to take the leap, and then uh, you know, clearly he's got he's got something because they call the British police in, but they're imposters. Uh, so, what WTF? What is gonna? What is going on with that? Uh, so I'm very curious to see where that all goes. We see at the end that Mr. Rubenstein and Precious Clark is his partner. We see that they're burning their IDs. Um, so. Why? At what purpose? Uh, if he's not Jack the Ripper, because like the obvious thing, he's also burning a file that he that he found. Like it seems like they're trying to slow the police down, get the police off the scent, and why? Uh, they even he even lets them know that he's there uh, because he they go to like the morgue, and I was curious about this because I was thinking like, do if you if you were a Lost fan. Do you remember the character Miles who could talk to the dead bodies? Like, those were the vibes I was getting from Mr. Rubenstein when he's like, hold on, I gotta listen, or I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta examine the body. And I know, you know, he probably is just, like, noticing the mutilation. That was consistent with what Jack the Ripper did. But he was like, oh, he's here. I'm certain of it. So, you know, if he's not Jack the Ripper, and he's not trying to throw them off the scent because he's letting them know that he's here, what is his angle... And, uh, how did this happen? Like, why did the, like, how did the British police get this intercepted? Uh, don't understand what was going on with that. Uh, they have, MI6 has some explaining to do. Let's see here. With Elf Fielder, because she's going to be crucial to this case too. I mentioned she was battling that sleep sickness. She had borrowed from the police station a pair of handcuffs and a camera. And it kind of fakes you out. It kind of makes you seem... It makes you think that she's going alone to investigate in the tunnel. Because 1K, of course, had to go home. She had to feed Anton the cat. And Elle Fielder, it seems like she's going to go alone. You're kind of afraid for her. And she doesn't show up at work the next day. And that happens to be Lars's first day. But it turns out that Elle Fielder is tied up. Tied up with the handcuffs. And she has got the camera pointed at her. She wants to see what is happening to her in her sleep. Uh, so anyway, Lars uh, has to come to the rescue, and he has to hold a bucket for her while she pees. He's the one who unlocks her, and it's a very comical scene, of course, uh, of course, with Elfielder. And uh, I did want to mention, like, the first time when Lars sees Elfielder at work, there's, like, this heart music playing, and, like, I can't shake him. Like, is this, is this supposed to be romantic? I don't know. Like, it would be, it's kind of tough to come back <laughs> For for Alfielder for what she does in front of uh, in front of Lars, but you know that's Alfielder. She doesn't care. She's gonna she's gonna be able to move on and not be awkward about it. So uh, 
that was a really funny scene. If a little bit loud, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, maybe uh, drawn out for comedic effect, but I thought it was, I thought it was pretty funny. Uh, Just back to when uh, Mr. Rubenstein and Precious Clark, when they're talking with the chief of police, uh, they like, kind of like commends it the, everybody on such like a good effort like oh, great job this is such a team effort how i'm so glad you caught this uh it's a good thing that lars was just like googling knife murders or else they wouldn't have they wouldn't have found this um uh, so they uh uh this is also where like we get a scene where lars and elfielder are driving away and elfielder's embarrassed about her english she's mentioning that who's czech dripper and she says that she's not as good uh, with English as the rest of them, even though as like I said in season one, she like did a great job on research, and I think some of that involved reading some English words. So, uh, but you know she's not comfortable with it, and it's moving back and forth, and it's interesting to hear the character speak in my native tongue, uh, and of course it'd be diff- different for them, and they do such a good job. Like they they sound really great. It's just impressive to be able to speak and act in two different languages. So. Kudos to all the actors who are doing that. And we'll have to see if this job will stick for Lars. Uh, will he make it through the external consultation phase? Will like will he be rehired at some point in the season? Or will this just kind of be his role all season? And if we do get a season three, uh, maybe that will be the reinstatement of Lars. But we'll have to check out uh, what happens after that uh, uh, throughout the season. Uh, the chief also really is a big fan of Lars. He wanted to reinstate him, but, you know, the, the new psychologist is very by the book. And you could tell, like, she wasn't feeling what Lars was saying in the interview. So I like that they, like, laid the thread uh, earlier so, like, you could see kind of what was going on, kind of the chain of command and what was happening in Norway. So I mentioned the mystic, the uh, the prophet that Erd, uh, not Erd, or Port is uh, passed away, but I think it's the same prophet that Erd goes to see. Now Elfielder is seeing, and uh, Torhan, you know, she followed the dog. He took her there, and he has a pig, and I'm almost like, why does Torhan have a pig? And should have known that nothing good was going to happen to that pig. The pig ends up getting sacrificed, and it's kind of the end montage again, where she's, you know, cutting up the pig. There's a lot of people there, and she's splattering blood on everybody. Um, and this is like as we're finding out that Mr. Rubenstein and Precious Clark aren't who they say they are. Uh, so it's all very sinister. And um, kind of the big thing we got from that scene too is that she gets really upset with Tor because uh, the mystic woman ends up asking like, um, where are you from? Uh, where uh, She sees a luminous vest. And where does that come from? And that makes all the other think that Tor told her. And I kind of believe Tor, and I kind of think that this woman actually did have a vision, uh, much to Elfielder's chagrin. She doesn't believe that, but I kind of think she had a vision. I don't know, Tor just, he doesn't seem like a liar to me. He just kind of seems like a straight shooter, uh, especially to Elfielder. And he's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I didn't tell her anything. So we'll have to see, you know, what this woman's powers are and, like, what her ability to... Uh, know these things means uh or maybe you know maybe she was tipped off who knows uh, i also liked that elf was Elfielder was part of a fight club in this episode um she's trying to you know you know get out the aggression and anger maybe help her sleep a little bit better uh but it's not working and then i mentioned that lars was helping ingrid at some point in this episode and ingrid's storyline it seems like 
maybe she hooked up with one of King Olaf's friends and uh, she ended up getting pregnant because she wanted a quiet evening in uh, when Madeline and the rest of the girls wanted to go out with King Olaf and his friends. But when, you know, they cut to her in her room and she's uh, opening something and it's a pregnancy test. So that is a little bit scary for, for her and uh, she'll have to tell she'll have to tell her family and you could imagine you could imagine it not going over too well with uh, the 1800 stepfather and uh, and uh, you know her mother who married somebody that traditional as well so should be interesting to see what happens with that and let's talk about King Olaf and he's kind of like our beforeer that we're following this season and he's on a quest to prove his name to take his name back he wants to be recognized as king olaf and it seems like that would come with all sorts of benefits um the man behind the counter at the identification uh the identification office he is telling him that yeah what you're requesting is a tier one name and this comes with all these benefits this this and this and also it's why it's the most restricted because you have to be able to prove it and he talks about how he has eyewitnesses but the man is like, uh, listen, like the I've seen your YouTube, like uh, your YouTube followers do not count as witnesses, and he's very frustrated, uh, and he like says some mean things about him, and he is, uh, he he ends up getting owned by him though because he's like I'm King Olaf, I've done this and this, I killed whoever, you know, and uh, the. Uh, and the guy is like, well, I'm in control of who gets to the identity and, or not. So you could both say that we're, you know, you could say both of us are pretty badass. And, uh, you know, he doesn't know how to react to that. King Olaf is, has not uh, met, the wits, uh, met the wits of this guy uh, from the identification office. So uh, he's pissed off and he has a couple friends that he's with and uh, they, for whatever reason, are going to a museum, and they are, you know, looking at a skull, and this woman comes up to them, and she's like, uh, excuse me, where's the gift shop? Because she thinks that they work there, and, you know, that gets these bodyguards upset. They yell at her, but he's, like, focusing on the, the, the skull, and he's like, how do these, how do the today humans, how do they know, you know, whose skull this is? Because, like, they mentioned that it was a woman's. And they talk about this thing, DNA. <laughs> they talk about DNA. <laughs> and the guy is like, uh, yeah, I saw it. I saw it on like a YouTube series. Uh, and uh, he wants to know like, you know, would dead bodies have the DNA? And uh, he's like, yeah, I think they would. So he's able to, uh, He that's like his new plan. He knows where his son is buried. So if he's able to match his DNA to that of his son, he would have royal blood, and he could maybe clear that tier one name and go back uh, with his vengeance to the uh, to the <laughs> to the naming office. And he's also still dating Madeline, it appears, uh, even like so much as to like <laughs> drink uh, drink whatever's in the fridge uh, at the place he's comfortable enough to do that. You know, he knows no bounds, though, so maybe maybe he's kind of new there, but um, him and Madeline have a scene together. You know, he has the scene with Madeline where he's like, I'm nothing without my name. So, you know, he's uh, very intimate with her. He does seem to like her a lot, and uh, they're trying to... 
you know, conquer Norway. No, I don't, I don't know what their ultimate goal is, but um, there's a lot going on with those two. And then I have what he said to the guy at the naming office. He said that he was the sword that God uses to punish enemies. And the other guy's like, I'm a caseworker, so you can both agree that we're both pretty badass. So I love that line. That was pretty fun. Good to see the caseworker get one up on the mighty King Olaf. And then circling back to Lars and Mr. Rubenstein, you know, Lars wanted uh, more research on Jack the Ripper. And, you know, boy, I can tell you, you can just, you know, do a little search on the internet. He was, he was good to find, you know, <laughs> knife murders on the police search. I think you can just search Jack the Ripper on the internet. Uh, on the Google or the Bing or whatever he has, and he can make it happen. But uh, instead of uh, giving him, like, files, Mr. Rubenstein gives him this book about timigration. So I'm wondering why... Uh, why, 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 why leave any... What's, what is Mr. Rubenstein's aim? I'm, I'm not sure. And I guess that's the big question uh, of the season's gonna be, like, what is Mr. Rubenstein's identity? Is he Jack the Ripper, or is he trying to, you know, solve the case of finding Jack the Ripper? So, that's gonna be, uh, something I don't think will be revealed till the end of the season, but we'll have to, we'll have to see about that. So, a couple things from season one that are not present in season two. We did not get Gregors or Marie. We only got Ingrid on that side of the family. So I would imagine they'd still be in the show, but it was interesting to note that they're, they were absent in this episode. Um, and I guess we had a lot to catch up with, uh, with both like the new case we have to set up, what's going on with Elfielder, the introduction of King Olaf, uh, and then like the Jack the Ripper storyline too. Um, I, I do like that this season's a little bit easier to explain. Like I feel like uh, season one was like really convoluted and like you have the Ada time, uh, the Ada storyline, but you know, it changes, like, who's working for who, and there's, like, a bigger boss each and every time. I feel like this storyline is, like, more focused, more narrow, like, oh, Jack the Ripper came to modern time. That's, uh, that's what the season's about, um, which is, which is exciting. It's, uh, I think it's an easier hook to get people in, like, you know, people love true crime, so I think that, I think that's interesting, and I think that's a good way to, uh, kind of boost the show's profile a little bit, so we'll have to see if, uh, if that helps in the ratings at all, but you know, I know the season's, like, done and aired probably for a year already in Norway, but, uh, you know, I heard no word on season three yet, so we will have to see if that will ever come out. And then, speaking of Ada, she was not in the episode, and I don't think she died in season one, so I'm wondering how they're going to tie that back, and we had, like, kind of, like, the undercover guy working at the police station um, that Lars is talking to towards the end of season one. I'm wondering if that storyline will continue, if maybe, like, either Alex or Wenke at the police station, if they have any, like, nefarious means, um, kind of think no, I think they, they're just kind of, like, the mean ones at the office, but, uh, we will, uh, we, we gotta remember that there was some, like, something shady going on, you know, a lot with the police, like, with the harbor cop, and then, like, with the guy that Lars talked to, so, is there another inside source at the police station? And then I do, like, there's always little moments of humor in the show, like when the woman is asking the, <laughs> the woman is asking for the gift shop, and they're like, we're not Vikings, and uh, it's just, or he's like, we're not, or we're actual Vikings, uh, we're, we don't work here, we're actual Vikings, and there's just, like, little things that the show can do. The same theme song is back, Ain't No Love in the Heart of the City, uh, no, no eye drops this time. I think that we were missing a, a key part uh, was the eye drops from Lars. 
Uh, instead, he's just like, you know, Sober McGee over here. No, it's very good. Very good for him. Um, if, if, if it is true that he is sober. All right, everybody. I think that should do it for this episode. Uh, looking forward to learning a little bit more about Jack the Ripper, seeing where everything is going to go from here. Um, thank you so much to everybody who's been listening. It's great to see. It blows my mind that we're still in the charts in a lot of different countries. So really cool. Um, yeah, and, uh, feel free to reach out and let me know what you think of the show. Let me know what you think of the Beforeners. Is Jack Dripper, <laughs> Jack Dripper, is Jack the Ripper, Mr. Rubenstein? Uh, no spoilers if you already know, but um, yeah, let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter, at WakeUpWinden. Use the hashtag, CheckDripper, <laughs> and uh, if you made it this far. And if you uh, want to write into the show, you could always do so at WakeUpWinden at gmail.com. All right, everybody, that's going to do it for me today. Apologies for the delay. I was not feeling too great last week, so I'm trying to get this one out as soon as I can, but apologize for no episode last Thursday. But here we go with season two. So thanks, everybody. Hope you guys are having a good week wherever you are. Take care. Bye-bye.